thank you very much, worship team, for leading us so well in song. And man, it is awesome to hear um, you singing, um, us singing together like that and worshiping God. Uh, we've come this Sunday to the second last um, sermon in this series that we've been in, uh, Just Like Us. And I personally have enjoyed uh, digging in and looking at some of these different people in the Bible and, and seeing what we can learn from them and, and just some of these amazing, sometimes unknown um, people that we haven't spent a lot of time in, maybe in our own study or in, in the church. I've also really enjoyed, I've had quite a few suggestions uh, from people here on who we should look at. And so um, if you have given your suggestion and it hasn't come true, it's because the sermons were outlined three months ago. And so I'm sorry, but uh, some of you um, struck it rich, and you're like, yes, the one I suggested. Uh, and you're like, man, I suggested it, and that's why they did it. I hate to burst your bubble. But um, for those of you that are like, man, you didn't do the one that I suggested, well, uh, that is the reason why. But uh, I thank you very much for your suggestions, and it's been good, and I think this is something that we will do again in, uh, in years to come. The goal of the service, or the goal of these, this series, has been all along to look at these individuals in the Bible, um, to get to know them a little bit better, and to recognize that, for the most part, they were people like you and I. Uh, they weren't these superheroes that are untouchable. They weren't these individuals that um, had extra power or extra strength, or that for them, serving God was easy, and for us, it's hard. Um, that everything kind of lined up perfectly for them and, and things don't line up perfectly for us and so therefore uh, it must be very different. So the goal has been to see them, to see what they've done, to see how God used them, to see how they served God, how they submitted themselves to God, but also in the midst of all of that, recognizing they were just like us. Um, they weren't any different. Um, they struggled in some of the same areas. They were prone to sin. They, they could have disobeyed. They could have done more. All these things are all part of their lives. And so we've been wanting to look at that and to recognize that if God can use individuals, uh, people like you and I, in the Bible, then that means that God wants to continue to use us and he will use us to do incredible things today. Today I want to look at another incredible or remarkable woman. And I don't think she is very well known to most of us, um, and I think that she should be, but this isn't a remarkable woman, and her life story, uh, and her, well, her life and, and her story, um, I think is going to connect with those of you in the room who find yourself currently in an unhealthy relationship. Maybe you're in a place where you feel powerless. Maybe that place is your parents. I'm not talking here about little kids. But maybe that place is your parents. Maybe that place is your spouse. Maybe that place is your friends. Uh, maybe that place is your kids. Maybe that place is your work. Um, who knows who? Someone in your family. And, and you just feel that you're not the one that has the authority to make any changes. And boy, if you could just say, this is what we're going to do, things would be different. Maybe it's your workplace. If you're like, man, if I could just, if I could just be the boss for a day... Um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't treat each other the way that we're being treated. We wouldn't say things to each other. We wouldn't do. And so this story, this remarkable woman today, 
her story teaches us that even when we are not the ones in power, we still can make change. And the woman's name is Abigail. And if you don't know who Abigail is, you're okay, um, because I think most people wouldn't really know. But if you are here today and you feel like in one way or another in a relationship that you are in, that you are powerless to do something, then I want you to really listen to today's sermon because I think Abigail teaches us that even though our circumstances and our situations or even in moments, in places when we are the person who is powerless or powerless in the sense of no authority, that we are still able to do much. And so Abigail shows us that even when we are the ones who are sort of, you know, second in command or third or fourth or whatever, that we're still able to make wise choices in light of the people around us maybe making unwise choices. That we can still follow Christ even though maybe in light of that people around us are not following Christ. That we can still make a change. That we have a choice even though maybe there are people in our lives who are trying to remove that choice from us. We can still do the right thing. We can have an impact. And regardless of our circumstances, God can still use us. And I need to start right off the bat by just recognizing Abigail risks everything. And you need to just sort of have that as a premise, that this was a person who was willing to risk absolutely everything um, for um, the situation that she finds herself in. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's turn to 1 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 25. And if you have the Bible app, our church, not the Bible app, I keep saying that, the church app, uh, you can go to the sermons and the notes should be there. And while we're going to spend most of our time focusing on Abigail, we do need to also look at two other people who are sort of the key characters as well in the story, one of them being David and the other one her husband, Nabal. And so we're going to turn uh, in to, to 1 Samuel chapter 25, and in verse 2 we are told that there's this person in the story, or that the story takes place in Carmel, and there's a man that we're introduced to who is extremely wealthy, and this individual has a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, and that may not seem like much to us, but we are told that he is very, very wealthy. The story also takes place during the time when they are shearing the sheep, and that to us right now may seem like nothing, but I want you to hold on to that because we're going to show later on how that is actually very significant to the story that we're about to read. So, if you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to start reading in verse 3. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, so you have to forgive me if I have my head down quite a bit um, so I don't get lost in my notes. But let's read um, a section here together. <coughs> it says this in verse 3. His name was Nabal. This is the, the rich man that we've been talking about. And his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband were surely, surely and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David, David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Verse 7. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, 
we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So Nabal is introduced to us as, first off, as this rich man, but he's also introduced almost immediately as someone who is surely and mean. The word surely means um, someone who is stubborn, difficult, harsh, and cruel. And the word mean in the original text describes someone who is abusive, who mistreats other people. And Nabal is both. So this is, this is who David has sent his men to, and this is who Abigail is married to. We also find out that Nabal, though um, because he has a lot of wealth, must then also have a lot of authority and a lot of power. It is very likely that Abigail is married to him not because of love, that he probably paid a large amount of money, and therefore their, their marriage is not one of love. Their marriage is more of a business transaction. So Abigail is very, very likely in a very loveless marriage. Um, he likely paid a lot of money for her. Abigail is married to a person who is known to be surely and mean. And obviously, this would have then also meant that that's probably how he connected and engaged with her. And then we also find out that his name, Nabal, means foolish. So this is the setting of the romantic movie that we have just described. This individual who is abusive, who is mean, who, who does things for himself, and on top of all of that, he's a fool. Not many romantic stories start with that in mind. And so this gives us a little bit of an idea of the situation that Abigail finds herself in just within her own marriage, within her own family dynamic. Now David, he's also been mentioned, David at this time is hiding from Saul, King Saul, who is determined to kill him. <coughs> and he finds out, or he's near the place where Nabal is shearing his sheep. And so according to the testimony of one of the servants, you'll read this later on, he, they're very quick to say David was the one who protected Nabal's herds. He, he, was, you know, he kept the shepherds and the sheep safe from bandits. Something that would have been, should have been or was greatly appreciated by the herdsmen. And this should have given Nabal enough reason to be generous to David. I mentioned before that it was shearing season. And the reason that's important to note is that during shearing season, it was seen as a time of generosity. It was customary for the owner to throw a big celebration for his household and for the workers. And one would think that after all that David has done for his, for his men and for his, for his sheep and goats, that Nabal would be more than pleased and more than honored to give David what he is requesting. So here we are now, um, looking at this man, two men, one who did the protecting, the other one who had an advantage, and if none of the sheep went missing, obviously Nabal would have had significantly more profit. Now let's look at verse 9, because David's men arrive with the message from David. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. 
And then you see three words. Then they waited. And I'll just tell you, I spent a lot of time digging in because that just seems odd to mention. And I'm like, there's got to be deep meaning behind these three words. And so I dug around, and sadly, I didn't really find anything, but it just has to mean something. So I'm kind of at a place, personally concluding, I think David's men expected an immediate result or response. You know, they kind of like, hey, this is what David all did for you, and um, yeah. And kind of like, and Nabal would immediately be like, well, of course you guys can have what you're asking for. And, and that's what I read into it. I might be wrong. But look at the response instead. Verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants. Now remember, they spoke in David's name. Look at what, they, what he says. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. Now, Nabal shows why he has the reputation that he has. Um, he is arrogant. He is selfish. And if you look at the way he words this question, he says, who is this David? As if David is just an absolute Nothing. Now, I want to assume, and I think it's pretty clear from even Abigail's comments later on, um, that there's no question about it. Nabal knew who David was. And he knew that David had protected his well-being and his wealth. And that David is fleeing from Saul. And yet, after all that David's men and that David has done, he is now not only mistreated, he is insulted. Look at what Nabal does next. He goes so far as to suggest or accuse David of being a runaway slave. Now, many scholars believe that Nabal was loyal to Saul. And likely, Nabal hated David. And he would have much rather had um, you know, King Saul in charge because likely he would have received some wealth from that. But David could have easily stolen from Nabal during this time, but he didn't. And now, here is this man insulting him and actually accusing him of being a runaway slave. Um, and this is something, uh, again, I, I think it's important for us to recognize. David could have done the things I just said. He could have stolen from Nabal. He could have all these things. But if he's going to be the future king of Israel, he needs to have favor with the people. And if he's going around into the local community, stealing from his own people, when he becomes king, this would not help his PR, you know. And so David was wise in not doing that. Now look at verse 12. David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And now look at David's response. Verse 13. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So David hears the news and he responds as we just heard. So here's what I need us to understand. Nabal is the fool and David is impulsive and violent. And while his anger may seem justified... 
Um, his decision to go and kill Nabal and all of his servants, it would forever be called murder because he did not have a right to do this. And all the while that David is on his way to kill Nabal, we hear later on that he's muttering to himself and he wants everyone to hear how wronged he has been. Jump to verse 21. Just, David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I, have, I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. This is David's rant. He is in a, he's in a rage. So Nabal is the fool, and David the impulsive, violent, rash man. So we've looked now at the two men in the story, one a fool and the other who flies off the handle when wrong, and this is the situation that Abigail now needs to manage. Now we need to remember, and I'm sure it's not hard, she's a woman. And at that time, um, a woman, especially in her position, had zero authority. She's likely also in an abusive marriage. Um, while she's the brain and the beauty of the operation, she must be very, very careful in how she acts. But she must act decisively or risk everyone being killed. Jump to verse 14 again. We're going to go back to verse 14. One of the servants of Abigail, Nabal's wife, <clears throat> one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over. This is now the instructions that the servants are giving Abigail. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Even the servants recognize the precarious situation that Abigail is in. And the foolishness of Nabal's decision. Now, what is amazing here is that they do confide in Abigail, but they're very quick to also recognize, and they say, no one can talk to him. They recognize that Abigail can't just go up and talk to her husband and say, hey, was that smart? Was that wise? Maybe we should quickly send somebody back and try to catch those men so that we can right this wrong. No, they're very clear. No one can talk to him. But yet, Abigail, you need to do something. This is the situation. Lots of lives on the line. And here's this moment. A powerless individual has to do something. At the same time, they seem confident that Abigail would come up with something. And she does. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sheaves of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on a donkey. 
or donkeys, sorry, because I'm like, poor donkey. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll, I'll follow. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Ah, the plot thickens. Abigail understands the situation. She saw what was at stake. What I want us to see, and I want us to notice here, is something that we can so easily miss. Because we can easily just focus on the death that's coming to Nabal's home. But Abigail does more than just save, or is on a quest to do more than just save Nabal and his family. She is also going to prevent David from spilling innocent blood. And in this moment, she will help David save his reputation as the future king of Israel. So there's much more at stake here than just, oh, I'm going to try to protect my husband or my, the fellow servants. No, I'm going to also save or prevent David from ruining his reputation. David needed an Abigail when he was on that rooftop looking at Bathsheba. Amen? Someone who was going to act and say, don't do this. This is foolish. This is another one of those moments for David. And Abigail is now acting to prevent something like that from happening. So Abigail is juggling a lot of moving parts and doing it all in secret. How you can bring that much food out of the area without being noticed is impressive. In verse 23, we read that Abigail does ride out to meet David. And when she meets David, she quickly jumps off her donkey, bows down to the ground. The vulnerability in this moment is, is incredible. Remember, David is in a fit of rage. He's muttering to himself. He's riled up his whole troop. They're all armed. And they're going out to kill. And here, a defenseless woman bows down before this man. Listen to what she says. And I want to read the entire, it's quite a few verses, but I want to read the entire section to, her, uh, to us because it's important to hear the way she speaks to David and what um, is behind those words. Verse 24 and on. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. Husband, if your wife has ever been mad at you, this is a whole nother level, you know? And as for me, this is key, as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Okay, David, I want you to know <clears throat> I wasn't part of that ridiculous um, insult. And she goes on, verse 26. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you Harming my Lord be like Nabal. She already is prophesying, David, you're not going to do what you plan to do. Because he's already saying, God, the Lord has prevented this. It's, it's not happening. Verse 27, And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Verse 28, Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make 
a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living God, of the living by the Lord your God, by the lives of your enemies, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord everything he promised concerning him and as has appointed him ruler over Israel, may my Lord not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. These are not only beautiful words or important, important words. Many scholars believe that these are also prophetic. Um, now, Abigail is not mentioned as a prophet, but these seem to be prophetic words. Now, whether God spoke to her or if she's just that intelligent to be able to see all that's happening, we don't really know. But I want you to notice some intentionality here. Notice how she intentionally uses the image of a sling in describing what God will do to David's enemies. Clearly, she is reminding David, you used a sling to defeat Goliath. And I want that image, David, to be on your mind as you realize God is going to do for you what he did when you defeated Goliath. Abigail appears to know more than just the current situation. She is aware that this moment is bigger than David just getting vengeance on her husband. So she requests that David remembers her when God has given him victory. Now listen to David's response. Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the, God, to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive um, by daybreak. Then David accepted her hand accepted from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. So Abigail goes home. And if you keep reading the story, you see that she goes home and she finds Nabal. And he's in high spirits, absolutely or blissfully unaware that his wife has saved his life and that of all the people around him. But because he's drunk, she waits till morning to speak to him. Verse 37. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. As soon as Nabal is dead, David sends for Abigail, asking her to become his wife. In 1 Samuel 42, uh, 25, 42, it says, Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. And there's the story of 
of Abigail. Now, I want you to notice here now at the end something that's missing. There's no mention of anyone grieving. Uh, There's no grieving period. There's no after the time of grieving. Then um, Abigail responded. She immediately goes to David. And and sadly, David already has a few wives and will have many more wives. And and Abigail is going to have to navigate all of that. But in the story that we've read today, it is very clear that Abigail is the hero. God used her to save the lives of many and also to prevent David from destroying his reputation. So that's the story of Abigail. Now let's take a moment and let's ask ourselves, what can we learn from her? And the first one is this. A position of authority is not needed to have influence. A position of authority is not needed to have influence. I know that some of you feel trapped in your circumstances. You feel trapped in your situation or even maybe in a relationship. It might be your place of work, it might be your family, your parents, or maybe, maybe your spouse. And you just find yourself in this situation or with this person and you don't feel like you can make any change because you don't feel like you have the authority to do so. Maybe you find yourself in a similar place as Abigail today. The people around you are making foolish decisions. And you're seeing this, and over and over these foolish decisions are being made, and yet you feel like there's nothing I can do about it. Abigail was humble, she was gracious, she was generous, but she was not powerless. God had not forgotten her or her heroism. And in that moment, when she needed to act, she did not question whether or not she had the authority or the position of authority, she was able to still influence um, the situation. Second thing is, take action when needed. In this chapter, we see Abigail repeatedly taking quick action. We see this in verse 18, 23, and 42. She was decisive and she did not hesitate to act. She knew when things needed to be done. She recognized that she could do them regardless of her position of authority or not. She acted and she did what needed to be done. And if we see, I'll encourage us today, if we see an injustice around us, we need to act. And then I'll also say this. If we are experiencing an injustice to us, we need to act. We do not need to have a place of authority to act on behalf of others or ourselves. And then thirdly, be respectful. I have seen this passage actually used uh, to insist that a woman should stay with an abusive husband or in in an abusive relationship because Abigail did not leave her husband. Personally, I don't think that that's the heart of this passage at all. However, Abigail does teach us that we can be respectful around people we fundamentally disagree with. Her willingness to wait to tell Nabal of what she had done um, till morning shows that she was, even in that situation, she was a woman who was respectful and a woman of integrity. She wasn't vindictive. She wasn't malicious. She wasn't doing this just to get back at him. She was doing this for, because it was the right thing to do. She made the right decision, and now she was going to face up to it. And then God stepped in and dealt with Nabal. 
So as we go from here today, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you have no authority, you've, you're not in a position of authority, I trust that today you are reminded that God can still use you. So act. Don't just do nothing. Be respectful and allow God to do what you are not able to do. Let's close in a word of prayer. I thank you so much, Lord, for this, this beautiful story of this incredible woman. And I think today we don't even fully recognize what was all at risk for her. But Lord, we thank you for stories like these, for people like this in Scripture, who teach us and show us that you walk with us and you lead us and you use us, even in those moments when the situation is so beyond what we ourselves are capable of. So I just pray for anyone here today who maybe finds themselves in a relationship or in a situation where they feel trapped. I pray that you would also give them wisdom today to see what they can do, even if they are in a place where they don't have the authority to do it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.